it's good to be with you uh, today, to worship with you uh, today, especially as we conclude our summer series, Grown Up VBS, which has been a lot of fun. We've explored Bible stories from our childhood and trying to read them with a grown-up understanding. We conclude our series with the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And as the name suggests, there's not a whole lot that's really childlike about this story. Daniel, like uh, Esther and a couple other books we've looked at this summer, is yet another odd book in the Bible. For one, it's the only book that's labeled apocalyptic in the Old Testament. For another, it's actually written in two languages. It's written in, parts of it are written in Hebrew and parts of it are written in Aramaic. Chapter 6, which we're covering today, is written in Aramaic. And there are even later Greek and Latin versions of the book of Daniel, which add numerous pieces to it. And those versions are the ones used by our Catholic brothers and sisters, uh, as well as Orthodox brothers and sisters in their Bibles. So uh, our, our versions of the book of Daniel are even different from some of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not drastically so, but just a couple extra things here and there. The book of Daniel has two distinct parts. Chapters 1 to 6 is a story, or rather a, a, a series of stories about four Jewish men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their courage and faith in a time of exile and dispersion of their people. Chapters 7 to 12 are really a series of apocalyptic visions, many of which are utilized later by the Apostle John in his Revelation. The unifying theme throughout Daniel's book, though, is of the prevailing power and sovereignty of God, and in turn, the prevailing justice of God on any power or force that seeks to undermine God's rule in the world. So our text today, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, is really the end of the story section of the book. Though probably written centuries later, the story takes place in the 6th century, after the Babylonian exile of Israel, and then after Babylon falls to Persia. Historically, the author jumps over a few periods here and there, bringing us to a mysterious King Darius, mysterious because there were three Dariuses that were king in, in Persia, but they came later than the time period the, book, the author of Daniel is talking about. So if you're a little confused, don't worry, so am I. The history is a bit fuzzy here. But like you've heard me say before, historical accuracy wasn't the aim of the author. This is a story, rather, of persevering faith in a God whose sovereignty, power, and justice are always absolute, even in difficult times when it doesn't seem to be so. Daniel's predicament was established in our first reading that Don, our liturgist, read for us. Darius, the, the king, decides to establish a 120-person team of administrators located throughout the kingdom to report back what's going on. Daniel is among this group, and his spirit and drive impressed the king, and he surpassed the others in the king's favor. The king had planned to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. This, of course, made his 119 colleagues a bit jealous. So they plot together to find some sort of fault in Daniel, but they couldn't even find a blemish on him. 
They had to dig deeper, which for them meant looking into Daniel's faith. They decide and come up with this plan to write an irrevocable decree for the king to sign that forbid prayer to anyone but the king, with the punishment being thrown into the lion's den. They knew Daniel would keep praying to God. This is how they would get him. The king, hungry for power and perhaps even flattered by the loyalty of his administrators, signs the decree joyfully. Our second reading begins just as Daniel finds out. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the sixth chapter of Daniel, beginning with the tenth verse. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went to his house. Now his upper room had windows that faced Jerusalem. Daniel knelt down, prayed, and praised his God three times that day, just like he always did. Just then, these men, all ganged together, came upon Daniel praying and seeking mercy from his God. They then went and talked to the king about the law. Your majesty, didn't you sign a law that for 30 days any person who prays to any god or human being besides you, your majesty, would be thrown into a pit of lions? The king replied, the decision is absolutely firm in accordance with the law of Media and Persia which cannot be annulled. So they said to the king, one of the Judean exiles, Daniel, has ignored you, your majesty, as well as the law you sign. He says his prayers three times a day. Let's stop here. Daniel finds out it's illegal to pray to his God, so what does he do? He goes home and does as he always does, three times a day. He prays to his God. Prayer in the time of exile and diaspora was of utmost importance to the Jews. It reminded them of who they are and who their God is when everything else in their day was telling them otherwise. This is why Daniel employs a practice seen elsewhere uh, during, during the exile. He prays facing Jerusalem, God's holy city the place of the temple, to reinstill his hope for return and for his God to bring about deliverance. This hope was so important, this act that reinstilled his identity was so vital to Daniel, it didn't matter the penalty, didn't matter the cost. Daniel was going to pray. As a pastor, I fear today that so often we overlook the powerful work of prayer in the Christian life. Instead, we, like our culture, values action, which is well and good, don't get me wrong, but for the Christian, action is always rooted in prayer. Faithful prayer leads to faithful action. Prayer without action, without response, without change or transformation in the person or community after an encounter with the divine, beckons the question whether or not it was really prayer at all, conversation with God. Prayer, friends, helps us see where, how, and why God is active and at work in our world today. Talking to God, even when we're not sure what to say, even when we don't have anything to say, allows us to discern how God is calling us 
participate in the work God is already doing to bring about justice and redemption. If our prayer, or excuse me, if our action is not prayerful, if our action is not rooted in prayer, in turn it beckons the question of whether we are seeking God's will or our own. In this way, prayer works as a sort of compass, reorienting ourselves to who God is and where God is, that we might follow boldly, just as Daniel does. This dedicated work of prayer moves us to action, to participate in what we see God's mission of justice, peace, and love is, which, of course, we only understand through the serious work of prayer. Daniel shows us this. In the face of injustice, in the face of violence, in the face of blasphemy, Daniel prays. He prays as he always did, to better understand who God is and who he is, here and now. This deep abiding relationship with God uh, that Daniel has develops through prayer. It allows him to discern who he is and how he is to respond to the looming threat and injustice he faces. And respond he does. Let's see what our prayerful Daniel does next as we continue our reading at at verse 14. When the king heard this report, he was very unhappy. He decided to rescue Daniel and did everything he could to save Daniel before the sun went down. But these men, all ganged together, came and said to the king, You must realize, your majesty, that the law of Media and Persia, including every law and edict the king has issued, cannot be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and hurled him into the pit of lions. The king said to Daniel, Your God, the one you serve so consistently, will rescue you. A single stone was brought and placed over the entrance to the pit. The king sealed it with his own ring and with those of his princes so that Daniel's situation couldn't be changed. The king then went to his home to his palace and fasted through the night. No pleasures were brought to him and he couldn't sleep. At dawn, at the first sign of light, the king rose and rushed to the lion's pit. As he approached it, he called out to Daniel, worried. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, the one you serve so consistently, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered the king, long live the king. My God sent his messenger who shut the lions' mouths. They haven't touched me because I was judged innocent before my God. I haven't done anything wrong to you either, your majesty. We'll stop here. So the king immediately regrets his decree that has condemned his beloved servant Daniel. But not even he can revoke it. Which, if you remember, is exactly what the other ambassadors were hoping for. The king's hands are legally tied. And he has to send Daniel to the lion's pit. Darius maintains some hope, though. Daniel, maybe your God will help you. 
How does Daniel respond to the injustice facing him after going to God in prayer? He says nothing. Hearing that praying to anyone other than the king will get him killed, he does just that. He prays to God knowing full well what would happen next. He doesn't complain. He doesn't protest. He even says, long live the king after he is spared. What scholars over the years have noted about Daniel here is that Daniel is a model of a particular kind of faithfulness that has been revered throughout church history, nonviolent resistance. It's no surprise that Martin Luther King Jr., Christians in South Africa during apartheid, and even Mahatma Gandhi have looked to Daniel's faithful, nonviolent witness to his God. John the Apostle will employ many images from Daniel in his revelation to give Christians in his time a courageous hero to aspire to in the face of persecution from Rome, when, very similarly, all were required to bow down and worship the emperor. Daniel's witness says that such blasphemy calls for nonviolent resistance, refusing to pray, honor, and give glory to anyone but God alone. Now, while this, too, is an interesting and necessary piece of the story and of the character of Daniel, as our reading ends and the story ends, we learn that it's not really about Daniel at all. So friends, let's finish the story picking up at verse 23. The king was thrilled. He commanded that Daniel be brought up out of the pit, and Daniel was lifted out. Not a scratch was found on him, because he trusted in his God. Then Darius wrote the following decree. To all peoples, nations, and languages inhabiting the entire earth, I wish you peace. I now issue this command. In every region of my kingdom, all people must fear and revere Daniel's God, because he is the living God. God stands firm forever. His kingship is indestructible. God's rule will last until the end of time. He is rescuer and savior. God performs miracles and signs in heaven and on earth. Here is the proof. He rescued Daniel from the lion's power. And so Daniel was made prosperous during the rule of Darius and during the rule of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. The king is thrilled that Daniel was saved from the lion's wrath. He then condemns the men who set up Daniel. Then Darius tosses aside the previous decree and makes another one, naming Daniel's God, the God of Israel, as the one true God whose kingship is indestructible. And Daniel goes on to live happily ever after at the king's side. So that is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. We've reflected on Daniel's commitment to, to prayer in the face of trials and injustice seeking to see where God is in all of this, discerning his response, what action his prayer will take. That action is not through violence, but through faithful, nonviolent resistance to such injustice. But the end of the reading, 
particularly Darius's decree, shows us that the story isn't really about Daniel at all. Sure, Daniel is a wonderful character, and he's a model of faith and witness, but he's always pointing beyond himself. This, friends, is not a story about Daniel. It's not a story about Darius or, or the empire of Persia. It's a story about God. In particular, it's a story about the power and rule of God, something we in the, the Reformed tradition talk about as God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty always reigns supreme, even when other forces make it seem like it isn't so. And God will put out anything that challenges it. 16th century theologian John Calvin, father of our Reformed Presbyterian tradition, boldly wrote in his commentary on Daniel 6, Earthly princes deprive themselves of all authority when they rise up against God. Yea, they are unworthy to be counted against the company of men. Darius, in the beginning of the story, challenges God's power and rule, making the decree, even if he was politically deceived to do so, that all prayer may only be directed to him. Daniel's faithful, nonviolent witness, along with emerging from the lion's den without a scratch, transformed the king from challenging God's rule to praising God and acknowledging God's sovereign rule over all creation. Even when forces in this world challenge God's power, even when it seems that forces in this world are seeking to diminish God's rule, God still reigns and rules over all. God is still and is always sovereign. And God's purposes of justice and redemption have come to full light in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And that God's word will prevail in the end. So friends, as we conclude our series and the story of Daniel, may we never forget the purpose and power of prayer in the Christian life, particularly in times of trouble and perplexity. May our work of prayer, of conversing with God, allow us to see where God is in our broken world and where God is making it whole. May our work of prayer, of glimpsing God's presence, beckon us to respond in action, participating in what God is doing in our midst, and like Daniel, stand up to anything trying to limit God's power and rule. And through it all, friends, may we be confident that no matter what, God is still sovereign. And God's ways of love, peace, and justice will have the last word. Just as Darius said, he is the living God. God stands firm forever. His kingship is indestructible. God's rule will last until the end of time. Amen.